Hello and welcome to the Dog Hack. A podcast series where we interview dog professionals. Today we're joined by Dee from Slumbering Hound. Morning Dee. Good morning Chris, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, we've been out for our morning walk and it's a very wet day in Manchester. It's very wet down here in London too. Is it? Have you took the dog out already? Um, I think my husband took him out about half past five this morning before he went to work um, and then I'll take him out after this. Wow, that's, that is early. Oh, he works shifts, so he's um, in and out all over the place. So Aston gets his walks at odd times of the day sometimes. <laughs> we've, I think this is the fourth or fifth episode that we're recording, and everybody we've spoke to so far has been a late morning dog walker, which we've never come across before. So you're the first person whose dog <laughs> has been out pre-podcast very yes, early in yes. the morning. Yeah, something to be proud of. Well, it's, it wasn't me. <laughs> it no, wasn't well. me. <laughs> yeah, it's my husband chugging around in the rain. So, so your husband's walked. Aston. Aston's a greyhound. He is. Yes, he's a pure greyhound. Yes, a pure, and he's a. I was reading on the website. He's a rescue dog. Is that right? He is. Um, he was. He he came came from to us from uh, Kent Greyhound Rescue down in um, in the Kent coast. Um, and he was one of 16 dogs picked up um, that were about to be got rid of. Um, he's an ex-racer from the racing industry. Um, um, and so the, the four, of, four of the dogs were, were sent to Kent and um, we, we met him through them. And what made you decide to get a, a rescue greyhound? Well, we've been talking about having a dog um, for some time. And my lovely friend Amanda um, had mentioned to me about getting a um, a greyhound she said had you ever thought about it and I said no it hadn't really come up because they're not bred for the pet industry so they're not you don't come across them very often um, so I started reading about it and I bought a couple of books and I looked on a couple of websites and I was very intrigued um, and then that summer we went to her house and looked after her Staffordshire Bull Terrier and her Lurcher for two weeks and that was really my husband's chance to get you know to see what it was like to own a dog because he'd never had one before so we looked after them in, in um, down in Whitstable for two weeks, which was amazing. And we met up with Kent Greyhound Rescue while we were down there and got to meet the people that run it and meet some of the dogs they had in at the time. And I was smitten, really. I wasn't sure whether I wanted a lurcher or a greyhound, but um, the, they, having talk, spoken to them, they, they sort of said, oh, I think greyhound's for you. So um, we then went to meet them again at Paws in the Park in the September and that's where we first met Aston whose name was Comet at the time because they give him a, they give him a name when they put them on their on their books um and I took him for a little walk around and um that was it <laughs> love at first sight it, it was a bit yeah yeah um so tell us about living with a greyhound what's it like oh do you know they they are the most lovely dogs it's so it's so easy to live with a greyhound they you just got to, have to make sure you've got a really big sofa because that's what they like to do. They like to lounge about a lot. They're, they're like the Usain Bolt of dogs. You know, they'll do a fast sprint and then they'll lie down for eight hours chilling. But that, that's, that's, what <laughs> that's what they're like. He's quite old now. I mean, when we got him, he was six. So he's now, he's almost 11 now. Um, and he's, he's still got a bit of a spring in his step. He's still got a bit of a wiggle on when he wants to. Um, but most of the time he likes to lounge and he likes to lounge all over you and he likes to lounge all over the sofa. Um, and 
he's calm, he's relaxed, he's chilled. Um, he doesn't. He's the worst guard dog in the world because he doesn't bark when anyone comes in. Um, but it's he's just absolute pleasure to have around. He's he's a real part of our family. I wouldn't I wouldn't change him for the world. So, going back then to the very beginning, do you have dogs as a child? Um, we did. Um, we had border collies when I was young. Um, and one of them in particular, Sean, was, um, she lived up, up until she was 16 and was a similar age to me at, when, when she passed away. I think I was 15, 16. I was at secondary school. And then we, my mum decided that she wanted standard poodle. So we got um, a standard poodle. Um, and that was what we had at the home before I moved out and went to university. So, um, and then my mum continued to have standard poodles after that for a little while. Standard poodles. And what were they like? You know they're quite they're quite energetic. Um, they they need a lot more exercise than a greyhound, that's for sure. Um, but they they're beautiful dogs, absolutely beautiful. Um, especially when they've just been cut and their 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 coat is so soft. They're they're really nice dogs. But I didn't live with one for long. It was um, only a few years, and then I went to uni. So um, my mum then had them at her house. So the one that she had at her house used to jump up at you the entire time. So imagine a big fluffy dog jumping up at you every yeah. time you walked in. Um, but no. Lovely, lovely dogs. Beautiful to look at. So the first dog you had since so you went to university and then the yeah. first dog that you had after that when you were out on your own and it was technically your dog rather than family dog. Was that Aston or did you yes. have dogs before? Aston, no, was, Aston. The, was the first one. Yes. And the switch, because it's interesting that you've had the... Often when people have had dogs as children, they seem to go for the same breed once they've... Yeah, I think to get a dog of their own. So it's interesting that you switched from collies and poodles. I to... think there was such a long gap, you see. Um, right. You know, I from having a dog as a child. By the time we got Aston, I was in my forties, so um, it's a, a very long gap in between. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted. And there were lots of breeds that I love. I mean, I love Airedales. I know you have one of those. Yes. I love. I I really like. I sort of tend to tend to sort of be drawn to bigger dogs. Um, but maybe that's from having a bigger dog as a child. But um, and it really was by, by the time we decided that yes, we were going to do it, and um, having looked at the greyhounds, that that really swayed me actually and made me um, think about that. I'm not sure I'd have any other breed now, to be honest. But I'd, I am always drawn to the scruffy deer hounds and wolf hounds and just big, big dogs, big scruffy dogs. I quite like I, those as well. I love the deer hounds and wolf hounds as oh, well. Oh, I yeah, love they're them. Fantastic. I'm very, I'm very drawn to a, a scruffy lurcher or a greyhound or anything like that, really. Yes. Um, so slumbering hounds, how did that come about? OK, that's quite a convoluted little thing. Um, it, it, I was... Um, I did a, a very small little collection to raise money for a, um, a charity that I was going to go and do some aid work with um, called the Grassroots Trust. Um, and they're a very small charity that provide um, child sponsorship out in Africa and they do some work in the UK too. And I was going to go on a trip to do some work with them to Tanzania. Um, so I made a little collection and I organised a big fundraising event where I had lots of stalls and ice cream and performers and um you know, and I organised this whole event in a local park at um, in Barnet, where I live, um, at a lovely cafe called the Old Courthouse Cafe with my friend Liam. And we organised this big day, um, which was really successful, to raise money for this particular charity and to help pay for my trip to go and work with them. Um, and um, a local lady called Gail Laser, who you know, is very big in our community, um, spoke to me and said she was organising a, a pop-up shop for local people 
who make things to get together and, and um, sell, their, sell their stuff on the high street. I was very keen and I thought I, was just, I would just turn up and help organise it. And then um, while we were setting it all up, I realised, and Aston was on his way to come into our house um, because he was in foster care at the time and I had to um, think about getting stuff for him ready for when he arrived. So I started making things for him and I thought, well, this is silly. I'm missing an opportunity. I should actually sell, you know, sell within this pop-up. So I became one of the traders as well as one of the people that helped um, found it in the beginning. So um, I set up this very small collection, found, founded the name Slumbering Hound because that's what Aston is. He's my very own slumbering hound. Um, and, um, and just started to see, to test the water really and see whether it was something people wanted. So it was a really soft beginning of Slumbering Hound. It didn't, it didn't, it, it, I didn't do a lot of planning beforehand, um, so it was it's it's grown slowly over the first couple of years, and then when the website was launched, I think that's when it really established, and that was four years ago. Um, but the pop up really um, helped me have the confidence to take it forward, really. So initially, it was a it was a pop up stand. And it was a pop-up long... shop, an actual shop in oh, the high street. Oh, an actual full-on shop on the high yes, street. Yes, yes, beautiful shop with some other very talented local um, ladies who make things. So. And is that where you're still based? No, that's that was only temporary. Um, the other ladies who um, I worked with have gone on to do other things. One has set up her own shop. The others have set up a shop where people pop up in their shop now. On on, and I'll be going there in um, at the end of November. Um, so yeah, it's 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 enabled everyone to go off and do their own their own thing. Really, it was a really a really good sounding board and a way to to make us all you know have have. Um, the public come and see what we do so okay do yeah. you have a physical retail presence now then or is it just online no i used to um there's a um a lovely lady up in hatfield house who has her own dog groomers linda she has a, a beautiful dog groomers up there and i i was stocking with her for some time and that was lovely because i was able to have a, a nice display and people who came in to have their dogs groomed would buy stuff from me there um, but unfortunately, um, I'm not there now because she's so popular and she trains a lot of people to um, to groom dogs that she's had to expand the shop and that part of it had to come away. But she's very supportive still of what I do. Um, That's a shame. And um, but no, at the moment there is no physical shop. It's so it's, just, it's all online. All online, and all when I go to shows, yeah. The website went up. Uh, did you say around a year after you'd started with the pop up shop? Yeah, so about about almost four years ago now, the website um, came online. My my sister in law Abby helped me set my website up. So very grateful to her for that because I, I'm really not a very techie person. <laughs> no, no, neither am I. So, how did you find initially building the? I know you had some help there, but yeah. I'm assuming you had quite a bit of input in there. How did you find setting the website up? It's, it takes a lot longer than you think. Um, I'm, I'm better at it now, and I'm better. I've, I've spent the summer updating things and adding new products, and I've got the gist of how you do it. But it's um, there's a lot of underground stuff that happens on websites, like your your metadata and your tags and all of that, which I find a little bit confusing. But there's a lot of there's a lot of support out there, and there's a lot of people I can talk to who will give me assistance. And so I'm really it's really trial and error, and I'm and I'm learning as I go, and I'm learning a lot all the time and um, that's what's making it easier for me to get my head around it all really whatever you've done though it's, it seems to have been successful so far I hope so yes I'm, I'm hoping that I'm just about to get into my busy period of the year um, September to no, uh, September to December is usually has been the last three years 
manic for me. Um, I spend all my time sewing and going to shows, so um, I'm just gearing myself up for that now, really. What What is it about that time of year that makes it so busy? Um, because generally people are buying things for Christmas. People tend to treat their dogs a lot at Christmas time. Um, people want things like cosy snuggle sacks and blankets for the winter period. Um, and so they're looking to treat their dogs and to find sort of cosy things for their dogs. People love their dogs and they want they want things to match in with their home as well. They don't want, you know, an eyesore in the corner that no one wants to look at. They want it all to be part of the part of their interior d- design, which was one of the reasons I started it was saying, you know, you want something that complements your home um, and because your dog is very much part of the whole place really so so you, you've mentioned there the, the snuggle packs do you want to describe some of the products that you guys offer okay guys that's just me um, so, <laughs> uh, um yeah so i make everything myself um my most popular item is a snuggle sack so a snuggle sack is like a sleeping bag for dogs um and they come in three different sizes and they're like a they're like a um a, a double thickness blanket made out of fluffy fleece and the dogs go inside. It's like a little nest. They make a little nest inside, and um, it's it's like a blanket that won't fall off. And they can. It's a very safe, comforting place for a dog to go. There, I've heard people, stories about people have told me that their their dog was very nervous, and they found this little comforting place where it's safe. They know where they can go. It's very portable. They can take it with them to other places, um, and it just keeps the dog really cosy. So that's that's the my, that's my best my bestseller is is a snuggle sack. But I've also made them for children. My daughter has one and my friend's son has one and I've, I've made a few for children. So that I turn them around into sort of proper sleeping bags for, for kids. And um, they're, they're becoming quite popular with children as well. Really? So I don't restrict myself to dogs. I can sew for anybody. <laughs> and the, the skills that you've developed in being able to create these things. It's, yes. it, I was looking on the website and it was saying that you've got a background in, uh, in film and television. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, I always wanted to do something creative. Um, so even though I left school and then and went out to work for a bit, it was never quite what I wanted to do. So I went and did um, what was called a national diploma then in art and design and um, specialised in theatre design. So I went off and did a degree in theatre design and 3D design at Nottingham, um, well, it was Nottingham Trent University um, then. And... Um, and then got into the film industry, so started working for um, the Jim Henson Company. So I worked with the Muppets. Very, very lucky to work wow. with all of that kind of stuff. Um, I also worked for Spitting Image, if you remember that. Yes, I'm um, <laughs> showing my age now. Um, uh, so I worked for them. So I was, I was very lucky to get placements in places like that, and to work within, um, you know, making pups, uh, puppets, and props, and costumes, and special effects and working in those those kind of areas doing very very long hours and working in quite um challenging conditions sometimes um i got to travel to really nice places in the world and and work on tv commercials um and films and then the last thing that i did when i really kind of gave that up was i worked on the lion king in the west end um as deputy head of puppets and masks so um i've been able to I've been really lucky and being able to do all of those kind of things. So I've honed my skills in painting and sewing and printmaking and I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, really. That sounds very glamorous. It's not glamorous at all. It's <laughs> if you've ever stood in the middle of a field up to your eyeballs in mud in, the, in um, you know, minus four degrees, you know, 
holding a puppet out for a puppeteer to grab hold of and knowing that you've still got eight hours to go. It's not, it's not very glamorous at oh, all. Oh, Lord. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> it's lovely. I've met some, I met some beautiful people and lovely people, but it's, um, it's long hours, long days, um, and, and quite challenging at times. But it's so nice what, to be my own boss. <laughs> what made you move away from that? I had my, I had my daughter... Um, and um, my daughter took a long time to get into the world. She's she's um, here via IVF, and um, I realised once she was born that I didn't want to do the crazy hours that I did. I still do crazy hours now, but I do them at home, um, and that means I can stop what I'm doing and I can I can engage. But then I was I just didn't want to do those kind of hours anymore. So you know I picked up the odd job here and there, but. I wanted to be at home with my child, so that's why I decided to not do it anymore. So it was a very conscious decision on my part. So did you move then straight from the, the film, television stuff into Slumbering Hound? No, not at all, no. Um, I, I applied for a job at my local college, Barnet College, and I worked with in the special educational needs department um, and was a... Um, what's... Um, it's a bit like a teaching... I became like a teaching assistant, but it's for specifically for special educational needs. Um, so I would help those, especially with particularly in art and design, and I would help those that maybe have anything from autism to dyslexia to um, ADHD to emotional problems. And I did that for 10 years, working with a lovely team of people. Um, and it was part-time, walking distance from my house. And, um, yeah... It, it allowed me to spend time at home, and that's when I decided that Slumbering Hound really... I had the time to to um, to do some sewing of my own, really. So you were running both concurrently? They were both going along at the same time? They were, for a time, yes. For and a then, time? Yes. And when did that change? Um, and then last summer, not this summer, just gone, but the last summer, um, that's when I decided that I needed to spend more time on Slumbering Hound, so I, I left... Um, and then for the last year, I've I've helped a friend of mine out who had a, a brand new baby. So I've been um, a childminder for her part time for the last year. And now I'm going it alone. It's just me and Slumbering Hound. I'm just I'm just doing that. So <laughs> it's quite it's quite nerve wracking to to think that it's just it's just me and Slumbering Hound now. But it's it's taken a few years to get here. But I'm quite pleased that I now can focus all my attention there. So I'd love to come on to that about the the decision to go. It's going to be slumbering hound with no backup. Yeah. But before we get on to that, I was just wondering. From last year, you said it, it had you decided that you needed to spend more time on slumbering hound. What was the trigger? What was the initial trigger for that? Um, I I think it's because people had started buying my stuff, which was really nice, and people were engaging with me and. Um, the shows I did at Christmas, I always got good, good feedback. Um, people had started to notice me, um, and I think that was what really triggered it. Thing, well, if I'm if I want to get bigger, I can't get bigger on my own. I have to actually put the time in. Um, I also then um, took on a young student who um, lives nearby, who to come and help me to to cut and to pin and to do all of those things that sucked my time. Um, and it made me much more productive. And I realised that there's only so far you can go when you do when you do it part time. And to actually make it really work, I think you've got to give it your full attention. Um, and so that's that's really what made me decide. 
So that, that came around basically from popularity in the business. You know, obviously you were good at what you were doing. The product was a good product. It was selling. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I, I, there are quiet times in the summertime, but um, I know that between between now and Christmas, I'm rushed off my feet. And I just think that, you know, if I, if I can make that, spread that out over the year, it means I can just, I can work. Um, I just need the time to be able to, to actually make, physically make everything. It takes, it takes time to physically make everything. So is, is the plan moving forward then you'll build up the stock in the first half of the year perhaps or, or, or over the summer ready so that you're not so rushed off your feet during the... Yeah, the, the, thing, the thing about my, my stuff, it's the snuggle sacks, I can, get, I can get a lot of those pre-made, um, but most people want things quite bespoke. Um, I personalise a lot of the things I make, so I do um, hand-drawn and cut appliques, so people will want their dog's name appliqued onto a cushion or they'll want their dog's name um appliqued onto a blanket and so lots of things can only be made to order so the the thing to do is to order as much fabric as I can to get everything in place to make sure my studio is um clean and tidy and ready to go for the busy stuff and have as many of the things that aren't bespoke made but everything else uh, it does actually all just get made to order because people want things in specific you know to be done very specifically so for complete novices like myself, a pliqued. Is... Okay, so it's it's a process where um, you um, say I've got the letters in front of me. I I draw all of those onto it's like a, a double sided sticky fabric. So you iron you draw it onto the the paper on the back. Yeah. The sticky stuff you then iron onto the back of the fabric, and then you um, have to cut each individual letter out by hand. And then you peel off the backing and then you put it onto the onto the fabric that it wants to go on and then you iron it back on and then you stitch it all around so that it's right. now you've managed to transfer it the transfer it over. Okay. It's quite a laborious process. It sounds <laughs> it, yeah. And does that so if you wash that then it, it's it doesn't wash off, it's it No, stays it's on. it stays. So you have a contrast you have the, maybe your fa- maybe your cushion fabric's in a nice charcoal grey with spots. Then what would look nice with that would be a, a red fabric with spots where the dog's breed silhouette and their name is then put on. So people like things personalised and it matches their home. And, yeah. So you offer a it's completely bespoke then what, yes. what you offer to the pet name. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Um, and also, um, yeah, so um, a lot of people will say to me, oh, I've got something that needs, you know, there was one particular incident Someone said, I've got a triangular dog basket. I cannot get a triangular cushion. Can you help? And so I made them a triangular cushion with a little pocket in the top that the dog could go into. And it was all completely bespoke. And all people are saying, I really want this, but have you got it in a different colour? Because I, you know, everything that I'm, I'm looking at is, you know, bright pink with blue polka dots. And so I will source as, ma- as many new things as I can for people. So I will try and source fabrics and colours to fit in with what people want. I mean, I've got another customer whose dog goes to work with them every day um, and they, their colours at work are purple and silver. So he has he has a cushion and he has a bandana and he has blankets all in purple spotted fabric with um, with a silver fleece backing. So he he has his corporate colours, as it were. So I do, I do a lot of things, you know, to order like that. That's fantastic. So he has the, the dog's... Bedding and bandana and all sorts branded for his company. Branded for the company, yes. Fantastic. Yes, so, yeah, so Sam is very much a company dog and uh, he he goes to work with his mum every day. <laughs> it sounds like you really get to know your customers as well. 
that's is that part of your ethos as a business i think it's really important i think you can't you can't really make things for people if you don't know what the dog needs um you know i've i think it's I, that's why i love going to shows i love meeting people and talking to them and finding out you know what it is that i can do for them you know it's not about what they can do for me it's about what i can do for them and they'll they'll ask for suggestions or they'll They'll say, oh, a snuggle sack, do you think he'll go in it? And I said, well, you know, I'll, I've got a sample one here. Let's put it on the floor and see if it goes in. Um, and so, and I love meeting people and being able to suggest things to people. So someone will say, I've got a whippet. Do you think, would that be a large snuggle sack? And I said, well, they're huge. And, you know, I would suggest you can probably get four whippets in a snuggle sack. There's a photo of those on my website. Um, <laughs> so I would suggest that I suggest you go for a medium. So I really love it when people chat, talk to me and ask me for things because I'm, I'm really happy to help. So. That seems to be a common theme with a lot of the businesses that we're speaking to is that tailored um, service, you know, getting to know what the dog needs. And I think from the sounds of it, from everybody that's spoken to so far, that seems to be what's separating successful businesses um, is their ability to get to know the dogs. Yeah, but also to get to know the people that own the dogs, um, because some of my regular customers they'll come back to me time and time again because you know they like what I do and oh I have one of those a year ago can I have another one or oh could you make me this or could you make that and I think it's really important to be able to say yes I can I can do that give me a few days let me source the fabric so there's there's a few people who have um their dogs and they go we're, we're doing this big wire fox terrier walk can you make me some special bandanas and you know, we're going to Chatsworth House. Let, what fabrics can you find? So I'll, I'll email them fabric choices that I've come up with that might fit in with a the theme and they'll then choose the fabrics that they like and I'll make bespoke bandanas out of those fabrics so that they can strut their stuff and look, look you know, at, at these at these big walks. So it's been it's been really lovely to get to know people and to get to know the certain groups of, of breeds. So I've got a lot of people who have dachshunds that follow me for the snuggle sacks and a lot of people with wire fox terriers who follow me for the bandanas and you know schnauzer people love this love the snuggle sacks as well so and then they and being on twitter and instagram and everything is really important because they chat about the things they post a photo of their dog and people go oh what what are they snuggling in i want one of those and so that and they chat about it and they they talk about me and they 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 say nice things so it's 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 just lovely i think it's really important to be very sociable it's quite tribal, isn't it, with the breeds? It is a bit, yeah, it can be. And I, and I think it's quite nice that they've got their little cliques. I mean, greyhound people are, you know, particularly so, <laughs> I think. Yes, we've noticed with the, if, if we hashtag Airedale on some of our posts that it, it gets out to a very specific audience very quickly of, yeah. of people who like Airedales. And I, I must admit, I, even myself, as I'm going through instagram or twitter or whatever if i see an airedale yes i am more likely to stop scrolling and take <laughs> a few extra seconds to see what's going on in that particular post absolutely people are I very protective to... of their breed aren't they yeah. they're, 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 they're you know you i'm i'm part of several groups um that talk about greyhounds and um honestly they, these these people adore their dogs and i think it's i think it's marvelous we we did a um on that topic, we did a post last week, and we mentioned it in last week's podcast um, that we were going to do it, and then we we posted it this weekend about vulnerable native breeds, mm-hmm. and we'd picked the top. So the Kennel Club does this list of vulnerable vulnerable breeds, and it's all the breeds with less than three hundred puppy registrations a year, mm-hmm. and it's a surprisingly long list yes. of, of breeds. So we so we thought, well, we can't 
do a blog post on that many different breeds. Let's try and get the list shorter. So we arbitrarily, not for any particular reason, just decided if we do less than 100, and that left us with about 10 breeds. And um, we've put a, a blog post up, and we've done some social media stuff on it. And the only people we've had come back so far in response to it are owners of Sussex Spaniels. Oh, Okay. Um, but there's another nine breeds on there that we've not heard much from. There's um, some ones that you wouldn't be too su- surprised to see, like otter hounds. Yes. Um, I, I don't think anybody w- would claim to have seen very many of those walking up and down the street. <laughs> uh, bloodhounds, I think people are quite aware of, aren't um, particularly common. Mm-hmm. But then there's some really odd ones. There's, there's a few retrievers on there and a few spaniels on there that you think, I thought... Spaniels were very popular, but then you think about it, so there's a lot of springers and a lot of cockers. Yeah. But how often do you see a field spaniel or a Sussex spaniel? Or... Yeah, I mean, the breeds are very specific, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. And um. you, you, it's the same with the retrievers. You see the Labradors quite often. You see golden retrievers a lot. But how often do you see a curly-coated retriever? Not um, very often. And when you do, they, they stand out, don't they? Yeah. Yes. And, and they're on the vulnerable less than 100 puppies last year for the... Um, wow. curly-coated retriever. But it's, it, I, I just mentioned it because it was interesting. We were talking there about you, I, I stop if I see an Airedale, you stop if you see a greyhound. Yes, well, I'm, I'm at greyhounds, whippets, deerhounds. You, 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 you get a hound in front of me and I'm going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny because you never used to see greyhounds, but just in my street, my neighbour got one just after we got Aston. There's one round the corner. There's a couple down the road. So they're, they're becoming much more, you know, you're more used to seeing them around than they... Than, than you ever were so they seem to be the perfect breed for the modern lifestyle because everybody like yourself everybody that i've spoken to said that they do a hell of a lot of sleeping and then just need like a really short burst of zoomies well it depends on their age but the younger ones are obviously a lot more energetic but you know i I prefer an older dog so um yeah they do um but you know if 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 aston was to go he'd go and i couldn't i couldn't catch him not on your life but um they, they they suit us. I mean, I, I refer to him as my gentle gentleman. And because he is, he's, he's so loving and affectionate and calm. I mean, he, but when he barks, he's got quite a booming bark on him. <laughs> if, he, if he feels like he needs to protect me when we're out. Um, but, you know, he does, he does get nervous about certain things. He hates fireworks. He, he gets nervous about there's a firing range not far from me. And if the wind's in the right direction, he'll hear the guns and he'll want to go straight home. Um, so he has his little quirks, but they all do. Um, but I, I adore him. Yes. Yeah, fireworks and stuff. Uh, you know, I've been really lucky with Bernie that we don't. He's not bothered. I mean, you no. could set a firework off right outside the window, and uh, he's not particularly. The only thing he tends to get a bit high alert on is skateboarders. If somebody skateboards <laughs> up and down outside the window, then he's like, "You're moving too fast." Oh, right, for a yes. human this isn't right and he <laughs> tells them off and then and horses actually the police horses come up and down outside sometimes he'll he'll give them a little bark to say hello oh. but other than that he's he's you know gunfire in the background we've been walking out where my mom lives or out where my dad lives there's no no reaction to gunfire on the moors or anything if there's a hunt going on oh no aston is honestly he's he's that's why we can't let him off lead. If he heard a bang, he'd be off and he'd be on a straight line to home, regardless of roads, trees, fences. And that's why it would, it would cause himself so, such damage. 
So we keep them on the lead unless we know it's completely enclosed. Um, and if, if on firework night he he's, he lies in the um, the downstairs bathroom and shakes for about three oh, hours. Bless him. Um, we give him as many sort of you know calming things as we can, but he likes to be in the dark on his own to shake and pant for a bit. Um, so I I do get a bit distressed. And I wish fireworks were just on one night of the year and not no, spread out over out, they? for yeah. months because it's quite unexpected. Just one firework can set him off. And I think that's I think it should be regulated so that you only have a couple of nights where like tonight is the night of fireworks and that people can go crazy. But I so that, that you're aware and you're prepared special as well for the people doing the fireworks, because yeah. you become a bit fatigued by it over a period of months, don't you? And then you, you see them going off in the whereas if it was just one night, it'd be this big special I think so. Special occasion. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a lot of animals are, are so disturbed by them that if if you knew that it was coming and you knew you could plan, you could plan yourself. But when yeah. they just randomly go off, I think it's it's very, it's very um, disruptive. Yes. <clears throat> so but let, let's get back to, we've, we've diverged here we from, have, haven't we? from the business. Let's get <laughs> back to the business. Uh, one thing that you were saying before was the, about the, the corporate branding. Is that something that you've ever looked into tapping into in a, in a more structured way, working with companies to get uh, that, that are dog friendly, that have office dogs, to get them corporate branded. Um, no, the only other thing I've done um, uh, is I've done a couple of dog coats. My sister um, works at a school, um, the Townley Grammar School, and they they have a dog, a therapy dog in their in their school, uh, Maisie. And so the only thing I've really done for that is um, I made her a coat. So that she's got her own school uniform and it's got the badge on it, and she's got cushions all over the school where she can go and lie, and the, and the students can come and and pet her and walk her, and so she's she's the school dog, um, um, and so she's there as pets as therapy type thing for the um, for the for the students and the staff, I think. Um, and so she, so I, I did make her a little school uniform for that. So that sounds <laughs> but, amazing. <laughs> but no, any any companies that want me to make anything for their for their corporate office dog, I'm quite happy to do so. Fantastic. And you were talking before about um, sourcing the fabrics without giving in any way any trade secrets, because we don't <laughs> want everybody going and, and doing it themselves. Um, how easy is that? Where, what, how do you go about sourcing those fabrics? It's not always that easy um, to get out and about to actually go to the place and see and feel the fabrics. But there are certain companies that I have now got used to using. So I know the quality of their fabrics. I know what what they what they are. Um, and so there are a few online companies that I can, I can order from because I already know what the fabric is. I try and stick to quite a simple palette of colours for, for the cushions. So it generally tends to be spots. Um, I've just moved into a denim range as well. So um, spots is how I started. And so spots is really what I continue with. Um, and I will introduce other, I've just introduced some new colours into the range so that the snuggle sacks and the blankets and the slumber blankets and the cushions can all be coordinated with each other. Um, and so I will, f- I, but sometimes I'll be out and about and I'll find a particular fabric and I'll go, oh, that's lovely. And I'll just buy five meters of it on the day and try and figure out how I'm going to buy any more of it because sometimes sometimes I can't then get hold of the fabric again, and so it has to become a limited edition or a one-off purchase. So that's really interesting. I, I think a lot of people. Well, I, I assume a lot of people. I say a lot of people would think this. What I mean is, I would have thought, and I'm now projecting onto other people what they <laughs> potentially would have thought. Um, but I, I would have thought. I guess in my mind, I, I see it as 
you're able to just go and you just you know you find a supplier and you just order it by the ream and and that's your but it sounds much more like you're actually out and about and on the hunt and you find quite unique pieces of fabric and that's sometimes i mean it's generally the bandana fabric that i'll do that with because i like to sort of you know have quite a range and get new things in but there are because my cushions tend to be just in the spot range what i've done is i've i've there's there's one fabric i can't get anymore with a small spot so i've now moved over to another company to do one with the larger spots um and that i do buy by you know meters at a time but the outlay is quite is quite a lot to buy every color in lots and lots of meters so that is where we're really where um the money goes the money always gets plowed straight back into the business oh i've got you know I've sold two snuggle sacks, so I'll just buy, you know, 10 metres of fabric. <laughs> it kind of works like that, really. Right. We were obviously talking before we started recording. You were saying that you'd got some new products at the moment, some new fabrics, new colours. Some new colours, yeah. So um, I've just done a, um, a really nice shoot with um, Kerry from Fur and Fable. She's a photographer and to photograph some of my new colours. So I've now got a, um, a really nice denim blue spot, a chocolate brown spot and a charcoal grey spot. Um, and these are now to coordinate with my blue star snuggle sacks and my plain brown snuggle sacks and... Um, I also have a really nice pink star snuggle sack. So I'm just trying to expand the range to for lots of different colours um, that you can then have blankets and cushions and snuggle sacks that all are within the same colour palette. Um, again, so just because people want everything to match and coordinate with their home and it's really nice for them to be able to have a matching set, as it were. Yes, I would imagine people often want stuff that, that match. Yeah, they want coordinating things so that you know all one, you know the the colours I've got are, are all sort of pink and blue. So and you know so I'll, I'll be able to suggest colours um, and things. But now it's just it's just to make everything a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more that you can that everything is very um, coordinating. Yeah, that's okay. really my plan. And there's a, I've, I've got a few new Christmas bandanas about to launch. They're on the website now, but I haven't officially put anything out on social media. But there are some new some new fabrics that I've sourced um, for Christmas bandanas, which I'm quite excited about. Now we're in September. We can almost say the C word, but not quite. <laughs> not quite. You know, I've, I've seen it all over for the last, on Instagram stories in particular, there's a lot of company. There was one, I can't remember who it is, but they were asking if everybody was ready for their advent calendar. No, no, see, I can't do it yet. I've got to wait oh, till no, after my birthday yeah. and then I can do it. <laughs> well, I'm glad we agree on that because that's... <laughs> That is, you were saying there before, fireworks only on one night of the year. Yeah. I would put something in that says Christmas only from November. Oh, well, the thing is, you know, if you're making stuff, you have to get it all ready. I, I bought yes. all my Christmas fabrics in the summer. You need you need to get ahead of the oh, game. Yeah, um, that's fine but, to make it. But... And uh, most of my Christmas shows happen to be in November. So I start ah, okay. promoting from October. Right. Because people want to buy things and get things under their belt and you've got to let people know what you're doing. But yeah, no, September. So perhaps, September's perhaps a bit early. <laughs> just for you then, I'll, I'll, Can you I'll let allow me it that? from October. Thanks. Thanks but for that. Se- but not September. Okay. All right. Thanks okay. for that. I'll do that. <laughs> um, I, I, just from looking on your website as well, I saw that you work with um, some charities. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, I, I I like to support um, the charities that are sort of fairly local ones to me. So um, I'm doing. I've, I've done a couple of shows for the Mayhew, which is a, um, a wonderful animal um, rescue centre in North London. 
Um, so they, they'll have shows and I'll have a stand and then I'll, I'll donate a raffle prize. Um, they were my ch- nominated charity for my Christmas cards last year. So each year I make Christmas cards and they're, they're all cut, hand-drawn and cut from fabric to the different dog breeds. And so I make those and then a percentage of the profits from those um, always go to my nominated charity. So the first year I did it was Kent Greyhound Rescue. The next year I did it was um, for um, a, a local charity um, called Glendy Rescue. And then last year was the Mayhew. I haven't decided on this year's one yet, but I'm 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 looking into that at the moment. And then I've, I often do, people often email me and they're, I can't, give everything to everybody but there are certain charities that I will help by donating products or vouchers or turn up on the day and judge there's one they do for a donkey rescue which is quite unusual a horse charity up at Hatfield House um it's a riding for the disabled um and I will always have a stand and judge one of the dog show categories and offer a prize and everything for that so that's how I like to give back really that's very corporate social responsibility <laughs> I think it's really I think it's really important that you don't just take everything to yourself that you that you have you have to um, pass it forward sometimes yeah a general uh, overall positive contribution to the community I think is the uh, yeah and, and so and so many and so many charities don't get any funding um, government funding so I think that you know they rely upon um, donations um, to really help keep them going. So, you know, it's, I think it's really important. Yeah, and I guess it's it's great if customers are, are aware when they come and they buy from you that they're in some way helping those things. That'll be... Yeah. Give them peace of mind as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I you know, I, I would try and help out whenever I can, but obviously there's a limit to how many I can do a year, but I do, I, you know, I do what I can. Do what you can. Yeah. Okay, so one question that we ask everybody who comes onto the podcast is if you were prime minister what one dog related thing would you make mandatory okay who wants to be prime minister at the moment no one (laughs) but um yeah um the one thing that really bugs me and i think it should be mandatory and i know they're trying to put things in place and it's really really difficult is to everybody who owns a dog to pick up their poo i i can't stand it i can't stand walking past in it and it's in the middle of the street or it's on a on a on a um a pathway which kids use to go to school there's one near me um, it's used by kids beginning of the day, at the end of the day, um, but it's also a cut through to get to the fields for dog walkers. And it's it's just you know you don't want children walking into it. I can understand when it when it's when it's you know you're in the middle of the woods and it's in the middle of nowhere and no one's going to tread on it and, and it will comp- it will decompose all by itself. But please, people, pick it up and take it home. <laughs> it gives no. every, it gives all of us a bad name if people. It don't. really does. It really does. I've got so many stories of dog poo not being picked up. And I guess equally as well, I mean, we're talking there about the children, about other people who aren't dog dog owners being affected. But if your dog's walking on that route, the likelihood is other dog walkers use the same route because it'll be a a dog walking route for a, a good reason usually. And that means I'm going to step in it. Absolutely, I don't want to step in it. Oh my god, no. getting it off the bottom of your shoe is disgusting. It's a nightmare. <laughs> but also, it's people, impossible. people's dogs. You know, I don't have a dog that goes off lead, but other people do. But they generally they need to keep an eye on where their dog is so that they can go and pick it up. And most people, I have to say, are really good. But that's why it should be mandatory. You pick it up and you take it and you take it home, or you find a bin and you put it in. It, it, 
you know, in fairness, you may be cheating there because I think isn't that already mandatory that you have to pick up your dog? There's a lot of signs out there that there are. I don't know how. I don't, don't know how enforceable it is. Maybe wait. Yeah, maybe it should be. I don't know if if it's not mandatory. Maybe the enforcement should be mandatory. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how you work it. It's such a. It's such a. It's such a, a big difficult issue. Difficult one to police. And a difficult one to police. It really is. D- DNA test. Maybe everybody should have to. If you find it on the street, little DNA tests. You can find out which dog did it. Yeah. See, my husband will say to people, "Excuse <laughs> me, I think you dropped something," and he'll make people pick pick it up. So I'm not. I'm not quite as uh, forthright oh, as him. <laughs> Well, I've never actually seen anybody not pick it up. Oh, I, I have. I, I, otherwise, I probably, I probably would say something. Yeah. It's always difficult to know as well sometimes if it's... I mean, for me anyway, because I, I find it difficult to tell, but if it's fox poo or dog poo or even cat poo or dog poo, if it's a particularly small breed. Yeah. Um, See, so I, I always assume it's the dog. In fact, <laughs> maybe that's unfair on dogs. Maybe <laughs> they get the blame and it's, it's not the dogs that are doing it. Maybe. But, you know, the dog can't pick it up, so it's the owner's the responsibility, so... Yes. That would be nice. At the end of the day, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, OK, I'll allow it. Thank and you, thank you. <laughs> on, the, on the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, what don't, one dog-related thing would you outlaw? OK, the illegal breeding of dogs, uh, puppy farming, the whole thing. I think you should be licensed if you're going to breed and you're going to sell um, puppies. You've got to make sure you're licensed and vetted and... I know that gets very difficult um, to, again, to police, but um, there's a lot of campaigning about puppy farming. Um, my friend Amanda, her staffie came from, she was a pretty much a puppy machine um, and went through all sorts of trauma in that, in that area. So I think that, you know, the regulation around puppy farming and illegal breeding and unregulated breeding needs to be really stepped up. And it's, it's a work in progress. It is happening. But, um, you know, there are so many dogs out there that need homes and there are so many really reputable breeders that um, there's, there's no excuses for, for it to continue, really. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So I, I noticed in, in neither of those, was there anything about the greyhound? Because obviously you had a, a rescue greyhound. Yes, yes. Um, th- it, it, that's very complicated. It gets very complicated because, right. um, yeah, I don't like greyhound racing particularly, per se. I know that you know there's a lot of stories um, about the the way that greyhounds are treated. I know that um, there are some awful things that happen to them. I do know that there are some decent trainers out there and de- decent owners. Um, it's a it's a huge can of worms. Um, yet mine was a rescue. Some of them are just retired, and I think that um, I'm not knowledgeable enough to to have that conversation. But I. There are there are there are dogs all over the world that are mistreated and greyhound racing. Sometimes that is part of the that is a lot you know that is part of the deal. So, but not necessarily always. I don't think I don't think so. I'm not. I as I say, um, I don't see it on a day to day basis. I'm not qualified to talk about it. But you know, you'll get those that are for and those that are against. But I do know that Aston wasn't retired. He was rescued. That part of it. Would I would say is is awful, but there are obviously others that you know they have their dogs, they love them, they to bring them into their homes when they've finished racing, and they're adored. So I personally can't put a blanket thing on it. No, that's fine. I was oh, just. I'm not, I'm not, I don't. I don't know enough about it. Quite. Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, so I, I think we've just about covered everything that we were going to cover. If people want to 
reach out to you in any way or to go and look at Slumbering Hound? What's the? How do they get a hold of you? Okay, so you, uh, the website is um, just slumberinghound.com. Um, you can send me an email. You can give. You can give me. A, you can phone me up and have a chat. I'm really happy to do that. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can, you know, message me or chat to me on there. Um, yeah, I'm just really open to people talking to me about what they want, really. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for asking me, Chris. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.